0: Welcome to Season 1, Episode 11 of the Home Health Care Today Show. I am your host, Dr. Clemon Moore. It's July. This particular month, we are going to focus on sarcoma awareness, I have the distinct honor and pleasure of having the former president of the Sarcoma Alliance for Research Collaboration organization as our guest today, Ms. Denise Frankie. Denise, welcome to our show.
1: Dr. Moore, thank you so much for inviting me to be here and for shining a light on sarcoma. An uncommon disease that so needs some attention. Yes, so thank you, do. you.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure, Denise. Uh, folks are uh, for our listeners uh, of the podcast and viewers of our YouTube channels webcast. Let me share just a little insight on who Miss Denise Ranky is. Right. In addition to her uh, recent departure as president of the Sarcoma Alliance for Research Collaboration. Denise is also a nurse practitioner at the University of Michigan. She fully understands the importance of collaboration to make progress for patients with rare diseases such as sarcoma. SARC, the acronym for Sarcoma Alliance for Research Collaboration, is focused on bringing together the sarcoma research community and providing the necessary infrastructure to facilitate the conduct of multi-institutional sarcoma research. In addition to her previous role as president of SARC, she retains that appointment, 10% appointment with the University of Michigan, where she continues to work with Dr. Larry Baker in the care of patients with sarcoma. Uh, under Denise's direction, SARC provided required components in the implementation of multi center sarcoma research projects, having the infrastructure of effective engagement and coordination of a collaborative team was a key component to making progress collectively. Uh, With her experience and her team's research, they continue to provide resources available through SARC to ensure success of the overall team. Denise, please elaborate further. Tell the audience, what is sarcoma and your passion for research in this field?
1: I think sarcoma is a type of cancer. And most of the time when people think about cancer, they think about carcinomas. Now carcinomas are cancers that occur like in the skin or the tissue that lines the organs or within the organs of the body. And those are common diseases that we know like breast cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, but sarcoma is different in that it is a disease of the bones and the connective tissues that, that connect the bony structure. So for example, like fat and muscle yeah. and such. And those diseases, the sarcoma occurs in those tissues of the body. And what's unique, so cancers, carcinomas tend to occur across the lifespan as we get older. So, the older we get, the more likely we are we're going to get a cancer. Yes. And we know that some of those cancers also, carcinomas, can be associated with lifestyle things, such as smoking. Mm. Sarcoma is different in that it occurs across the lifespan. Newborns can get sarcoma, little infants, young children, adolescents, young adults, middle-aged, all the way up to octogenarians. So it crosses the whole span of, of life, so it's really quite different. Uh, And so it's treated different, has different treatments, and it occurs much less more, less commonly than carcinoma. So we see there might be 1.9 million people in the United States uh, that will be diagnosed with cancer in 2021. Yes. Of those, 16,000 of them will be sarcomas.
0: Okay. So with that small percentage, uh, Denise, it's fair to include sarcoma in a list of other rare diseases that also have a you know negative and adverse impact on individuals across their across their lifespan so denise why is it so difficult or what are some of the obstacles in terms of people getting resources information or more knowledge about sarcoma and, and other rare diseases
1: we think there are over 30 million people in the United States that have a rare disease. So collectively
0: that's that's not so uncommon, right? That's not so rare. And so of those
1: 30 million people, there are 7,000 different types of diseases. So in and of itself, if you've got one of those 7,000 diseases, awareness of it, just even knowing that that is a possibility that you might have that disease, or when a doctor says to you, you have sarcoma, never even heard of that before. And so it's really raising awareness around some of these rare diseases, the impact of them, and so that people can be aware of maybe symptoms so that they can seek medical care when something like this comes up. So that's the one really big key. I think a second thing is access to good medical care. When you have an uncommon disease, sometimes it's hard to find an expert that will help you know, get the right diagnosis, the right therapy, and so it might not always be within your local community mm-hmm. that there's somebody who has that expertise yes. to really help you out. And yes. then I think, thirdly, the important thing in rare diseases that all rare diseases share is that if you've got this large number of diseases, yes. what about the funding? to do research so that we can make progress, so that we can understand what these diseases are, try to figure out better ways to help people overcome them, treat them, live with them. We might not cure them, but how do we give people good quality of life while they're living with these diseases?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's fair to say for the listeners and viewers out there that oftentimes these types of rare diseases fall in alignment in conjunction with other comorbidities. So perhaps some of the um, greater known illnesses or ailments may get greater funding or greater attention, right? So as we think about congestive heart failure and still heart disease uh, being the leading cause of death in the United States, it's not mutually exclusive to some of the other rare diseases. So I think that is really important for, for folks to know and to, and to understand. Yes. So, as we you know hone in a little bit more though on this particular rare disease, uh, Denise, tell us more. Tell us a little bit more about SARC. You know, as former president and looking at your impressive clinical background, being a nurse practitioner for so many years and then being a researcher, right? Um, Tell us a little bit more about the history. Of Sark, right? Uh, some of the major accomplishments over the last couple of decades under your under your leadership, and what you view as the the vision of Sark.
1: Well, you know, given the uh, rare nature of sarcoma, uh, Sark really came about as a brainchild of the research community, the academic research community, saying the only way we're going to make progress to help patients is to work together. We've got to really pool our knowledge, our understanding, Mm -hmm. come together, and and I've seen that happen. You bring smart people together, and (laughs) they start sparking off each other, and the ideas get better and better. So they knew that they needed to pool their intellect, Mm -hmm. they needed to pool their financial resources. What's the most important question that's Mm -hmm. going to get us to help these patients to have better outcomes, to have better quality of life? to yes. live longer with these diseases and ultimately the goal of sarcoma was to to cure sarcoma I mean yes. you to always have one of those big audacious big. goals yes. you know like really the big the big one you're going for and so uh, but along the way there are steps of progress a better understanding of the biology of the disease yes. what drives these different subtypes of sarcoma so sarcoma as I said was a one kind of bucket of diseases mm-hmm. but it's actually over a hundred different types. Yeah. And so each one is a little bit different. So why is osteosarcoma of the bone different from sarcoma yes. of the soft mm. tissue? What's different about them? Why, you know, what drives them? What are the drivers and what do we know about them so that we can determine better treatments for individuals? So this really was the brainchild of why bring SARC together, yes. bring the research community, and then most importantly, also bring together the voice of the patient. In rare diseases, it's very important to hear from the patient perspective what is your journey with this disease what is most important to them what are you don't have big journal articles of hundreds of thousands of people because it's just a small group and so you really have to listen to patients and families who know about these diseases so we came together to provide the infrastructure to do collaborative research you could do the research on your own god bless you go and do it but if most of the time you needed to together yes. and I don't care where you were across the country yes. we were trying to provide that infrastructure to make progress together
0: Great work great work Denise and the the utility of all of the research right and the developments what value does it have if it does not transcend down to patients and improving their lives you know their understanding of their disease how to cope and how how to manage. Such a disease. Yes. Uh, Denise, prior to uh, the commercial, I want to go back into a little bit of what you uh, spoke about uh, a few seconds ago as related to the purpose of SARC and its mission. How difficult is it to bring, or was it under your leadership, how difficult was it to bring those various groups together? So when you stop and think about the clinical researchers in the lab, my head's down. I'm doing my investigations. I have a co-investigator on this fun program. We're in a tunnel vision. I'm a practitioner and I'm assisting a doctor. We have several patients that are coming into various offices throughout the day. I'm in one file and out, right? And then the patient that's in the waiting room say, I got something that's kind of hard for me to explain to people. Every time I say I have sarcoma, people ask me, what is it? How do you bring together, how did you successfully bring together those three distinctive groups for the purpose of moving forward, the body of knowledge, and its applicability to patients' lives?
1: You tapped into the passion. Mm. Each individual, if you're in your lab toiling away, yes. many of those people are driven by the passion. I want to understand this. I, I want to better know what's driving this. Yes. And then if you're the clinician seeing the patient, you say, we, we have to get better understanding so that yes. we can make progress. So it's pretty easy to bring the two of them together. Yeah, because that's and the have, but, research side. And we sometimes hear this, people have maybe heard this uh, bed to bedside, or bench to bedside. Yes. Bedside to bench. So bench, the laboratory, makes an observation. The clinician says, oh gosh, That Uh I'm going to see if that's really true in the clinic and the patients I see. They say, no, well, that was almost true, but we learned this as well. And they bring the information back to the person who's in the laboratory. It enhances their work. So it was that. Of tapping into their strong interests, and they saw that their work was better, stronger, they had more ideas when they came together. And the insights, especially in this um, uncommon group of diseases, the patients bring is so critical. They may say, these are the symptoms I'm experiencing, this is how I feel, yes. this is this is what I first experienced when I was diagnosed are all important insights as they're beginning to say, maybe that'll help us better understand the mechanism of what's driving it, Absolutely. or maybe this will help us design better treatments. Or even when they're trying to decide what's a better treatment or how we're going to test a better treatment, to say... What does that sound to you? Would you come in every week for this? Right. We're going to need to get these blood tests. Yes. Do you think that's important? You know, would you help us convince yes. people why this is important? Help us educate about the importance. So yes. it's true partnership, and every and, and people when you bring it together, yeah. they love it. And so once you build that infrastructure,
0: yes, it's easy. And Denise, that was eloquently, very eloquently explained, right? Because as we think about patients and patients participating and contributing. Uh, To research. Some may view it as, oh, I don't want to be a guinea pig, quote unquote. But I do believe that that bedside manner that the clinician brings to that exam room and to a patient encounter is invaluable. Uh, The honesty of these are the developments uh, as related to your disease, right? This is what we know. These are some of the things that we are building knowledge in and you contributing to this right and patients we've seen uh, some of our homebound patients who may be nearing the end of a battle with a a disease or an ailment convey the message that if others are going to learn more or know more based upon my experience and what i've gone through then i'm okay with that you know and that's a that's a reality
1: you touch on such an important point that, that I think patients who have walked this road and family members, this is kind of informed consent. Yes. They really, so we engage that patient community to look at the informed consent for research so yes. that is it clear? What is the goal of the research? People yes. aren't getting pigs. So they should mm-hmm. know clearly what's the objective. Yes. What is the treatment going to be? You know, what are the, the downsides? What are the potential side effects? What are the alternatives? And so all of that is a really important of patience help us make sure we get right, because that is critical.
0: Yes, it is. Today's we're gonna to take a brief, you know, commercial You're from our sponsor. We'll be back for more dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. As Americans, we're defined by our grit, our toughness, our excellence, and our multiculturalism. But here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan, we are battle tested. That's our advantage. We've been hit rather hard by the pandemic and the other health challenges allow American Advantage Home Care to provide skilled home care services for you in the comfort of your own home. We are Joint Commission Accredited and CMS Certified. Call us today. Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 11 of the Home Health Care Today Show. It's July, and we are having a great conversation about sarcoma, the disease and sarcoma awareness Um, Joining us today is Ms. Denise Ranke. Denise is sharing with us a lot of insights about this disease to help our audience out there, listeners and viewers to become much more aware. In that first half, we talked about what is sarcoma by definition. We looked at some of the challenges and obstacles that families and patients may have in getting more insight. We even had a great conversation about linking the clinical research community the practitioner community and patients themselves in the development of knowledge to move uh, forward, move forward with managing this disease. So welcome back everyone. Uh, Denise, we're gonna pick up right where we left off. In terms of that research and the developments as related to sarcoma, what and who would you recommend for patients and their families and caregivers as related to clinical references, for the audience, as well as support and advocacy, uh, what are some, some groups that you would direct them to?
1: Well, f- well first, I think what's really important is that um, I think we hear oftentimes in cancer having a multidisciplinary team is important. But it's critically important in sarcoma because these diseases are sometimes very difficult to diagnose by the pathologist when they look at it under the microscope. It can be very, even expert pathologists can have trouble knowing precisely what it is. Knowing what specifically the disease is is critical to deciding what the therapy is. So bringing together the pathologist, the radiologist, how does it look on the x ray study? Bringing a group of people to the table, the surgeon, the radiation oncologist, the medical and pediatric oncologist who who, uh, prescribe medicines and drugs, that multidisciplinary team is critical. So accessing a clinical center that has that multidisciplinary team where they're going to bring that group of people to bear on your case to make sure that they understand what you have and what the best course of treatment. And then for individuals who are maybe just first hearing this word, I've got sarcoma, oftentimes they go to Dr. Google, yes, type that do. in and yeah. then you get, <laughs> you know, a lot of information and Whatever. sometimes not the best site comes up first and so I think that it's really helpful to go to some tried and true sites like the National Cancer Institute has an excellent site good information the large academic medical centers that are oftentimes uh, designated cancer centers by the National Cancer Institute have big sarcoma programs and Mm -hmm. hence they will have some excellent information online for individuals and think lastly a really excellent source are patient advocacy groups there are a number of patient advocacy groups that are are folks specifically on sarcoma, and in fact, within the last three years, I've helped bring together a group of those advocacy groups to form the Sarcoma Coalition. And we currently have 24 groups that have come together, and we've co-located their information at one website so if somebody's newly diagnosed yes. or, in fact the logo is we're here for you mm-hmm. you've been newly diagnosed and you're going what do I how do I find information Yes. it lists these different groups the different subtypes what services they have available many of them will talk to people one-on-one yes. help them navigate the road how do I find an expert where do I go even some will have, have um, stipends to help get you yes. to um, a specialist for the diagnosis and treatment. So there, there are really some excellent resources out there uh, for patients.
0: Absolutely, Denise, and, that, and speaking of which, as we think about, um, and this is just a little more information, as related to a patient that is diagnosed with a terminal, a terminal disease, such as uh, sarcoma and the other uh, various cancers, patients diagnosed with terminal diseases are in most cases eligible for Medicare. And that's one of the um, sound bites that we'd like to uh, keep the audience informed of. Additionally, there's organizations out there like New Day. Uh, New Day assists, you know, patients and their families with the financial strain, uh, oftentimes brought on by by cancer and the inability to work. And here in the Durfee Innovation Society is Gilmas Club. And Gilda's Club is a cancer support group as well. So I am so glad, uh, Denise, that you mentioned the patient groups, the advocacy, and and support for folks out there. At American Advantage, of course, we serve homebound, homebound patients. So, speaking of homebound patients, Denise, would you suggest or recommend perhaps home health care as a way to assist patients? suffering from sarcoma and other rare diseases in their advanced stages or, or phases.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to point out, yes, while well, some people may die from sarcoma, yes. there are people that also are cured of sarcoma and I want to make sure that we get that message out yes. as well. Uh, but we know that we're not always successful. Yes. And But in the path of treatment, we engage home health care. And home health care is so important. I know that within the practice at the University of Michigan, we try very hard for people to get as much of their treatment at home, stay out of the hospital, will not want you there, there's nothing like being in your own bed, nothing like having your own food, and so home health care is that bridge that helps people to be at home, to receive a lot of their care at home and the supportive care, and so they only come to the hospital for the things only that can be done at the hospital. Versus home health care partnering is, is just critical for people being able to just live their lives.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Denise. And even though U of M has its own you know home health care arm, which takes care of a lot of patients from time to time, we're able to assist assist U of M in taking care of patients that uh, are homebound and go through the U of M health system. So this is a really good, really good insight. Speaking of University of Michigan, you know, a maze or amazing maze in blue, right? <laughs> Are there any other U of M resources, clinics, specialists, or groups that you would recommend for listeners and viewers here in Southeast Michigan.
1: I think that, that we're really blessed in the Southeast Michigan area to have um, a strong sarcoma program that has that multidisciplinary team and that they work with other people across the state, across the nation where people will come and get advice about how can their care be handled and then they will work with their physicians in their local areas. And so I think that, as I said before, it's so important to get the right diagnosis, get the right treatment plan, and then they work and partner with with people in your local community to get that best care
0: delivered. Absolutely. Denise, this has been a very informative, very informative session here uh, with season one, episode 11. Is there anything else you would like to add or discuss before we get off to this pretty long weekend ahead of us uh, celebrating Independence Day in the Fourth of July?
1: Well, I can just say, just again reiterate thanking you for, for bringing attention to sarcoma. Um, I think that oftentimes when you have a disease that's rare, you feel very alone. And so by doing a podcast like this and and bringing information to people, hopefully they won't feel so alone and know that there is a community of people out there willing and ready to help them face this.
0: Absolutely, Denise. Thanks for all of your years of contributions as a researcher and a practitioner. We really appreciate you, Denise. Thank Thank you
1: very much. Thank you.